good afternoon. It's great to see all of you here in the middle of a work day to give honor to Jesus and it being, you know, amen. We're going to spend just a couple of minutes together and then partake of communion together. But um, before we do that, well, if you have a Bible, you can open it with me to John chapter 19. And we'll just be looking at a few verses there. And um, of course, this weekend is our Super Bowl. And we're celebrating the fact that 2,000 years ago, God left heaven and came to this earth and changed everything when he went to the cross and died in our place for our sins and then rose from the dead three days later. <laughs> I'll just mention as well that um, uh, on Sunday, we're offering a special sunrise service. That's one of our traditions around here. and We're going to continue that. So if you're up bright and early with the sun at 6.30 a.m., we'll be meeting outside and I'll deliver a different Easter message um, just for that service. And it's going to be so much fun. You might want to dress a little warmer. Uh, there'll be a little chill in the air. But we'll get to welcome the day and rejoice with Jesus uh, as, as we follow the story of those women who went to the tomb early on that first Easter, Easter morning. Um, but today is Good Friday. It also happens to be Passover. So the exact day that Good Friday lands on is, you know, because we follow different calendars than the Jewish calendar. It just so happened that today also happens to be Passover. Um, and of course, everything is significant. I, I find that extremely significant. Um, and, and so we're going to look at that. Look with me at verse 28 of John 19. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine and vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, Tetelestai, or it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So these verses give us a portrait of Jesus' final moments. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. And we know from the gospel accounts that during the second half of that six-hour period, the sky turned dark. And you'll notice how John points out that Jesus gave up his spirit. I, I like to point that out. No man took his life, amen? He willingly laid it down. He was in complete control of the entire situation. I mean, we see that demonstrated throughout the saga of his crucifixion, starting with when the, the Roman guards came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they asked, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And in that moment, Jesus took for himself the very name of God. This was the name that God had introduced himself to Moses by the name I am. And in that moment, when Jesus said, I am, you know the story, all the Roman soldiers fell down. And Jesus waited for them to get back up, maybe even dusted one off a little bit. And they said again, OK, are you Jesus? And he said, mm -hmm, let's just go with that. 
and he allowed them to arrest him. The point is, he didn't lose his life. He gave it up. But before he did that, he said a few final words. Now, people's last words tend to be significant, memorable. When a person knows their time is short, they measure and weigh each and every word carefully. Some people's last words are inspiring. For example, Nathan Hale, he was a, a revolutionary war spy. Before he was hanged by the British for espionage, his final words were, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Some people's last words are tragic. Just before Gandhi passed away, he wrote these words, all about me is darkness. I'm praying for light. Others' last words are beautiful, even inspiring. The great evangelist D.L. Moody's last recorded words were, earth is receding. Heaven is opening before me. If this is death, it's sweet. There's no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day, and it is glorious. Woo! I want to go out like that. And I can't bring that up without thinking of my own dad, you know? And his last words. He said, he said I'm walking up the hill of the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen. Amen. But for many, death seems to come too soon. Napoleon Bonaparte's last words were, I die before my time, and my body will be given back to the earth. Such is the fate of him who has been called the great Napoleon. Cecil Rhodes expressed similar regrets. His last words were, so much to do, so little time. Jesus, of course, was just 33 years of age when he died. He was young. Some might say that he was taken in the prime of his life. But his, his words don't reflect those of a man who had unfinished business. Even though he was young, he said that he had finished the work that God sent him to do. He spoke seven times in total from the cross, and each word was pregnant with meaning. Each thing he said was important. Even the order in which he said them was important. And of course, he made each of these statements while he was hanging on the cross. Crucifixion, as you know, was a horrible way to die. It was originally invented by the Persians, but then it was popularized by the Greeks and Alexander the Great. However, it was the Romans who turned it into an art form and perfected it, and they used it as a means of deterring rebellion. It was said to be both painful and humiliating. In fact, that word excruciating, we use it to describe the most horrific types of pain. We say, oh, it's excruciating. That is a compound form of two Latin words that mean from the or out of the cross. After several mock trials in which Jesus was falsely accused, he was handed over and he endured multiple beatings. The Bible describes how he had the beard plucked from his face. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. Then they covered his head with a bag and they began to beat him. So he couldn't see where the blows were coming from. And then they asked him, prophesy to us, who was it that just hit you? Of course, the ironic thing about that was he knew exactly who it was who hit him. And he loved them. 
In fact, he was allowing them to beat him because of his love for them. The bag was removed. They spit in his face. And after that, he was scourged. The scourging would have consisted of 39 lashes with something called a cat of nine's tails. It had long leather strips. And at the end of it were, were rock and metal embedded with glass. And they would lay that across the condemned prisoner's back. And it would rip into the flesh. And it would expose the tissue and the muscle and the nerve endings. And the reason he was only whipped 39 times instead of 40 is because they said if you whipped somebody 40 times with this, they would die. So it was considered mercy. Finally, after all that, he was forced to carry his own cross to the place of his execution. And there, spikes were driven through each of his wrists and through both of his feet. And as he hung on the cross over the course of six hours, he spoke seven words. The first word he spoke was a word of forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He literally prayed for the very people who were executing him. The second word was a word of hope. He said, truly today, you'll be with me in paradise. He said that to one of the thieves who was being crucified next to him, who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he offered a word of hope. The third word from the cross was a word of love. He spoke to his mom and he said, woman, behold your son, looking at John. And he said to John, John, behold your mother. And he was entrusting her into his care, thinking of others. The fourth word was a cry of agony as Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, literally translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most scholars tend to think that it was in this moment where the sins of humanity were placed on the back of Jesus. And the father turned his face away from the son whom he had enjoyed eternal fellowship with prior to that moment. The fifth word expressed his humanity as Jesus said, I thirst. And then his sixth word it was a declaration of victory as he said, it is finished. And the final and seventh word was a word of faith where he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Each of those words and statements reveal something of Jesus' heart. I mean, for one thing, even in his suffering, we find that the Father was uppermost in his heart and on his mind. He, he mentions the Father at the beginning of his time on the cross, and then again in the middle, and then again at the end. Three times he cries out to the Father, and then something else that sticks out to me is how others focused his statements were. He prays for his murderers. He takes care of his mother. He ministers to the thief next to him, and then he cries out to God. In fact, the only statement where Jesus thinks of himself is when he cries out, I thirst. And even that, it ministers to us because it speaks to us of the, the fact that Jesus was fully man and he knows what it's like to suffer just like you and I do. And each and every one of these words, of course, is worthy of our attention and our reflection, but we have such limited time today. So I only want to look at one of those words. I want to draw your attention to the word that we read in John's gospel where Jesus said, it is finished. The sixth word. Mark says that he didn't just say it. Mark's gospel says that he cried this out with a loud voice. It is finished. We might have expected him in that moment as he's being crucified to say, I'm finished. 
But no, these aren't the last whimpers or a whisper or the last gasp of a dying victim, but rather the triumphant cry of someone who had been victorious and had overcome. In English, it's three words, but in the original language, it's just one. The Greek word tetelestai. Oh, but what a word it is. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said, an ocean of meaning in a single drop of language. So what does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he cried out, it is finished? Just two quick thoughts for you today to consider. Number one, Jesus was telling us through that statement that the sacrifice for sin had been accepted by God. You see, all of the Jews who were there surrounding the cross would have drawn a correlation between what Jesus was saying in that moment and what the priest would say, the high priest would say, on the most holy day in Israel's calendar. Every single year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take a sacrificial lamb and he would slay that lamb and he would gather its blood and he would make his way in to the very Holy of Holies, the place where God's Shekinah glory manifests itself. And he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant, and then he would come back out and he would declare triumphantly, it is finished in Hebrew. And all the people would cheer because it meant for another year, their sins had been covered over. But all those sacrifices were just types and shadows of the ultimate sacrifice. That much is made clear by the fact that they had to continually offer them year after year after year. They were all pointing, of course, to the ultimate sacrifice that would be made by Jesus, the Lamb of God, who not only covers over sin, but takes away the sins of all the world. The writer of Hebrews put it like this, and I'd love it if we could read this verse together out loud. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Amen to that. Jesus purchased you with his own blood. And he was saying, the sacrifice is finished. You know, the Bible tells us that there were a number of supernatural phenomena that occurred in the moments right as Jesus cried out, It is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And as he gave up the ghost, the Bible tells us that for one thing, we talked about that darkness that was over the earth. The Bible also speaks of how there was a great earthquake, and I'll tell you where the epicenter of that earthquake was. It was the cross of Jesus Christ, because it was sending out shockwaves that the battle had been won, and through his death, we get to live. Amen. Something else that happened... At that exact moment where Jesus said, it's finished, the Bible tells us that the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, remember, that's where God's presence dwelt, from the holy place, that veil, which historians tell us was 30 feet wide and 60 feet tall and several inches thick, it was so heavy that it took reportedly over 300 priests to lift it and hoist it and put it into place. 
That veil was ripped in half, not from the bottom to the top as though man had found his way into the presence of God, but from the top to the bottom. God took it like a phone book and just... And you can imagine the, the, the deafening sound that that would have made as God took this veil and ripped it in half and threw it to the ground, saying, the way into my presence has been opened by my son. <laughs> Amen. So the sacrifice for sin had been accepted by God. And then secondly, and finally, Jesus was telling us in that moment that the debt for sin had been fully paid for. <clears throat> One of the most common ways that the word to telestai was used in Jesus' day was by merchants. And they would take that word and they would stamp it on a receipt. And there are thousands of scraps of papyrus paper that date back to that time with the word to telestai on it. And it was essentially your bill that showed that you had paid for whatever you had purchased. So it was a very common word. But when Jesus said, it is finished, he was letting us know that the payment and penalty for sin had been paid in full. The Bible says, amen. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What that means for you and I is, is we don't have anything left to pay for. You know, a lot of people try to pay for their sins. They try to make sure that their good deeds outweigh their bad. And, and when you strip it all down, that's really the logic of most folks. They think, at the end of my life, you know, God's going to put the good deeds on one side of the scale and the bad deeds on the other. And you kind of hope, you know, that the good deeds win out in the end. That's religion. Religion says, here's what you need to do in order to be right in God's sight. But by that definition, Christianity is no religion. It's rooted in a relationship with Jesus. And if the first word of religion is do, the first word of Christianity is done, because Jesus cried out, it's finished. Amen. <laughs> means we can't earn our salvation. The only thing we can do is place our faith in him and what he did for us. Colossians 2 puts it like this. We looked at this verse in our studies through Colossians not too long ago. Let's read this one together out loud. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Ooh, I love that. I love that verse. Woo. I, I was meeting with a friend earlier this week, and he was telling me his story, and, and he has a dramatic conversion story. Not all of us do, but his is dramatic. And he had been in a lifestyle of gangbanging and, and drug addiction and a whole host of other things. He, and uh, at one point, he'd reached rock bottom, and he said he heard an audible voice from heaven saying, follow me. I guess if you hear that, you go to church. And so that's what he did. He walked into the nearest church he could find found the pastor, told him what he had heard, and the pastor was like, really? <laughs> and he led him to Jesus in that moment. But he said it was a journey, and it was a process, because you know how it is, and sin gets its hooks in our heart, and it doesn't want to release its grip easily. And so he continued to battle drug addiction for some years after his conversion, and so did his wife, and she found her way in and out of prison, and she was in prison at this, this one moment, and he, he said he heard from the Lord, it's finished, it's done. And so he sat down and he wrote his wife a letter from his home to the prison, and he sent it off and he told her, God says it's done. 
I'm not going back anymore. And she received that letter on the same day that he received a letter that she had written him a couple of days earlier saying the exact same thing. God says it's done. I'm over with this. That was, that was 20 years ago. He's now a Calvary Chapel pastor. His wife's in the ministry, and they haven't gone back. It's finished. And God sent me here today to tell someone in this room, it's done. No more. Every sin you have ever committed has been nailed to the cross. That abortion that you had 20 years ago that you keep trying to pay for, that you can't get over the shame of, Jesus said that sin was paid for at the cross. The affair that you had, it's been nailed to the cross. The addiction that you can't break, it's been nailed to the cross. The anger that gets the best of you, it's been nailed to the cross. Amen. Today, we're going to leave that stuff in the tomb. We're going to celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, knowing that ultimately he paid for our sins and that he's not only the author of our faith, but he's the finisher too. He's the finisher too. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had to spend together in your word. It's so good. So sweet. What a friend we have in Jesus. I thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. If you're here this morning and you were brought by someone and you haven't committed your life to Jesus, congratulations. This whole day was for you. And Jesus is asking if you'll let him in. You say, how do I do that? I've tried this Christian thing before, and it didn't work for me. I've seen it work for others, but it just doesn't work for me. Oh, it works. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Power to forgive. Power to heal. Power to move mountains. Power to transform. Power to save. I don't care who you are or what you've done or the life that you have lived. Jesus says, will you allow me to take your past and nail it to the cross? Because the work has been done. My blood was shed. The price has been paid. The way into my presence has been opened. The debt has been absorbed. And it's finished. So quit striving. If that's the desire of your heart, I'm going to invite you to say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud as a way of affirming your faith in Jesus. And those of you who know and love the Lord, I'll invite you to say it with the rest of us as a way of reaffirming our love for Jesus. Say, Dear Jesus, I love you with all my heart. Thank you for taking my place and bearing my sin. I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name.